to think that the Lord gives us the life we have here and then the promise He gives to us after we're no longer here. No more night. All the pain, suffering, all that passed away. And we spend eternity with Him. Well, today we're going to continue our study in 1 John. And John has been discussing conflicts that we deal with in life. There is the conflict between light and darkness. And John said that you are either in light or you are in darkness because the two cannot exist together, not in the same place at the same time. Then he dealt with the conflict of hate and love, saying it is impossible to love God whom we have not seen and hate our brother whom we have seen. Today we continue with those conflicts as he leads us in looking at the conflict between truth and error. Now, we know that there are these conflicts we deal with, but we have a tendency of addressing them with the idea of sincerity. In other words, okay, so someone is in darkness, but they are sincere in what they believe. I doubt you would use that logic when it came to medicine. We go to the medicine cabinet and take out a pill, and we might be sincere in thinking that this is going to help us, but we might be sincerely dead after we take it. Well, it is no less true concerning religion. It is fine to be sincere, but it is necessary to be right. And that is what John is dealing with as we continue our study today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off in verse number 18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. And now little children abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, verse number 18, John gives us a warning as we look at his subject today. There are several terms that he uses, and I want to draw your attention to the terms that we see there. The first is children. Now, he uses that throughout his letter. 
He refers to them as children or as little children. Now, why does John do that? That, that is uh, not characteristic of the other writers of Scripture. Why does John do that? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. First of all, because of his experience, John is older. He might have been the last person alive who actually walked and talked with Jesus while he was on earth. So when it came to experience, then John had experiences they did not, thus they were little children. There's a second reason, I think, that contributes to that. John was a pastor. And there is a sense in which he is writing as a father to his children in the faith. Dr. Danny Aiken wrote, John begins this verse with the familiar use of dear or little children to show that he is addressing the community as a whole. As I've said before, this letter is not to a specific church, but it was a general letter that was to be circulated among the churches. Therefore, this letter has something special to say to us as well. The message that John gives to us is a message for the church in general. So, he begins with children. The second term is last hour. And he uses that twice in that verse. Warren Wearsby wrote, The last hour began back in John's day and has been growing in intensity ever since. The last hour or the last times and phrases that describe a kind of time, not a duration of time. It describes a kind of time, not a duration of time. All right. So John here is speaking about the last days. He's speaking about the last hour. What will those days be like? Paul gives us a description in part when he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Paul wrote, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, John is talking about the last hour, the last day, Paul describes them. And Paul says that when we are coming to the end of time, when we are coming to that season, it will be a time when people are abandoning the Word of God. A characteristic of the last days is that people will be turning away from the Word of God. They will be compromising the truth of doctrine because it is no longer popular, it is no longer acceptable, it is no longer convenient. When I read these things, I don't know how it strikes you, but when I read these things, and then I read the newspaper, I watch the news, it seems to me that we are living in that time period. I read an article this past week about a cadet at the Air Force Academy, who had written a scripture verse on his wall and was required to take it down. Now, he was required to take that scripture verse down because it might be offensive. Not that it was not true. Not that it was not something that he believed, 
but that it might be offensive to someone else. According to the Apostle Paul, as we come to the later days, he said people are going to be abandoning the truth They're going to be rejecting sound doctrine because it is no longer convenient. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, discipline is required so that you do not fall away. Paul continued writing to Timothy in the 7th verse of chapter 4, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So, ladies and gentlemen, as I'm thinking of this, and the Bible tells us how it's going to be in the last days, that people will be abandoning the truth of God's Word. They will be compromising the doctrine of truth. And so Paul then says it becomes important that you discipline yourself, lest you fall away. And we discipline ourselves because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul continued, For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So the second term there is last hour. Third term is Antichrist. Barclay wrote, Antichrist is a word which occurs only in John's letter in the New Testament. Antichrist can have two meanings, against or in place of. Antichrist can mean either the opponent of Christ or the one who seeks to put himself in the place of Christ. The one will be an open opposition, the other a subtle infiltration. There are three ideas about Antichrist when we think of it. First of all, there is the spirit of Antichrist, that general spirit that is opposed to God. That general spirit that is in opposition to God. That spirit has been in place since Satan declared war against God. Wiersbe wrote, the spirit of Antichrist is behind every false doctrine and every religious substitute for the realities Christians have in Christ. All right. So when we talk about the Antichrist, there is the spirit of Antichrist, that general spirit in the world that is opposed to Christ. Secondly, there are those false Christians who embody the spirit of Antichrist. So there is the spirit of Antichrist. There are those false Christians who embody the spirit of Antichrist. And John describes them. He says, first of all, they are the ones who have departed. Verse number 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. So he is talking about these who have left the faith. And he says that as they left the faith, that was an indication they were not really of us. They were really not a part of the family, not true believers. So he says they have departed, and then they deny the truth. Verse number 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, the Antichrist here are those false followers 
who embody the spirit of Antichrist. Now, they may say, these false teachers may say, we agree with you about God. We believe that there's a God and so forth. We agree with you about God. We just disagree when it comes to Jesus. Here's the problem. To deny the Son is to deny the Father. Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So as John then is describing these false teachers who embody Antichrist, he says they have departed, shown themselves not to be true followers. They have denied the truth and they try to deceive. Verse number 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So, there are these three ideas about the Antichrist. The third is a person. The final Antichrist that we read about in Revelation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 8, Paul says... And when that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Now, that is the final Antichrist. So there is the spirit of Antichrist. There are the false followers who embrace the spirit of Antichrist. And then there is the person of Antichrist. That is the one who will be here that John speaks of in the book of Revelation. Fourth word that I want you to consider is Antichrist, plural. Barclay said to John, the sign that Antichrist is in the world is the false belief and the dangerous teaching of the, of the heretics. Now, Antichrist wages a battle for the mind, and I want you to sort of focus with me here. Antichrist is engaged in a battle for your mind. Jesus warned about that. In Mark chapter 13, verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. So Jesus said, be careful. There are people who are going to come who are going to try to mislead you, change your thinking, change your mind. There is a battle for the mind. Jesus mentions it. Paul warned the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, and from among your own selves men will arise. Speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. All right, so there is this battle for the mind. Jesus said, be careful about it. Paul warned us about it. And now here John speaks about it. How does it work? There is a battle for your mind being waged by the Antichrist. How does it work? Repetition. Barclay wrote, We see men take an idea and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until it settles into the minds of others and they begin to accept it as true simply because they have heard it so often. The battle for the mind. How does it work? Repetition. You say it again and again and again and again, and people begin to believe it. Let me give you a perfect example. I read a survey recently that said 60% of Americans 
believe in same-sex marriage. Now, how did that come about? I mean, that is very recent, and that is contrary to where uh, civilizations have been historically. So how did that come about? Repetition. You hear it from the government, you hear it from the education, you hear it from entertainment, you hear it whenever you, whenever you read the magazines, you read newspapers, and so forth. You hear it again and again and again and again, and after a while, we begin to believe it's true. Not that anything has changed, but repetition. And in this battle for the mind, using repetition, all of the communication tools are used. Television, radio, print. All of them, the internet, all of them are used to say the same thing again and again and again and again until you begin to believe it is true. Why? Because something has changed? No. Because you keep hearing it. Because of repetition. So there's this warning. Now then, John moves from here and he talks to us some about those who were departed. Verse number 19, they went out from us. They were not really of us, for if they'd been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. So John here is speaking about those who left the faith, those who left the body, those who left the church. He is describing them. And he says that they have left. The American commentator says, The decision of the heretics to remove themselves from fellowship with the community gives evidence that they have never really believed the gospel. Now listen, have never really believed the gospel and that their true inward devotion was to the world. Now, these that have left, they left the body, they left the church, they left the faith. They failed the obedience test. If you look in verse number 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. They failed the obedience test. They failed the love test, verse number 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So they, these that have left fail the test of obedience. They fail the test of love. And here they fail the test of perseverance. Bruce in the epistles of John wrote, The perseverance of the saints is a biblical doctrine, but it is not a doctrine designed to lull the indifferent into a sense of false security. It means that perseverance is an essential token of sanctity. I totally agree with that. John was confident that someone who had been born again would remain. Now, folks, it's saying that I'm not saying that as a believer that we never sin. I am not saying that as a believer we never backslide. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying in the essence, as a believer, we remain. We persevere. Because that is who we are. And he says that they deny the fundamental truths. These that have left deny the fundamental truths in verse 22 of the deity of the Savior, that He is not God. The Incarnation, because the Gnostics did not believe in the Incarnation. So, the departed, those who left. Then we see the danger in verse number 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Wiersbe wrote, it is interesting to observe that anti-Christian groups rarely try to lead lost sinners to their false faith. 
Instead, they spend much of their time trying to convert professing Christians to their own doctrines. They are out to seduce the faithful. Have you noticed that? Concerning false religions, they seldom try to go to unbelievers and convince them to embrace their false faith. But they come to believers and try to entice them to embrace their faith. Why? Because Satan is a deceiver. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if Satan were not a deceiver, no one would follow him. Who would follow him to hell? I mean, he has to deceive. Otherwise, we would not follow him. The Bible says that he is the father of lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he, speaking of Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, Satan then is the father of lies, and because he is a liar, his doctrine is a lie. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 says, But I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And then it goes on to say, Now, not only is Satan a deceiver, his doctrine is a lie, but he has counterfeit ministers who propagate the lie. In, in Corinthians, Paul talks about that Satan presents himself as being uh, light. And therefore, it is no wonder to us that his ministers would do the same thing. They present themselves also as servants of righteousness. And so they twist the gospel. They twist the truth of God's Word. Now, what do they produce? I mean, that's what I'm always interested in is what does someone produce? Uh, you know, if you have a, a belief, if you have a doctrine, what does, what does it produce? Well, let's look at the... Deceiver. What do they produce? A false righteousness. The Bible says in Romans 10.3, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They have a false righteousness. Now, the, the, false, the, 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 the person who follows a false religion has a false re righteousness within themselves. And it has to be false because they do not have the righteousness of Jesus. So it is a false righteousness. How do we know the truth? Well, he tells us, first of all, because of anointing. In verse number 20, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. My friend, if you are a believer, then you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have a discernment from the Word of God. Now, make sure that whatever you believe is rooted in the Word of God, founded in the Word of God. Otherwise, it simply is not true. But we have the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit. And then abiding in verse number 24, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. To abide means to remain in fellowship. So those who abide in the truth commit themselves to the truth. We are obedient to the truth, and we love the brethren, those who know the Lord. Now then, last thing, the return. Verse number 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Now, this is the first mention in this letter of the return of Christ. But John mentions it here. He says that 
he appears. Now, Christians may not agree on the details of Christ's return, but we agree that he's coming back. I am a premillennialist in my interpretation, my understanding. That is where I am. Christians may not agree in the details of his return, but we do agree that he is coming back. There are three primary terms in the New Testament that refer to his return. Apocalypsis, which means a revelation, unveiling the disclosure of something previously hidden. Epiphania, an appearing, the physical return. Parousia, a coming arrival. That is the word that John uses here. The American commentary says this word was something of a technical term and marked the arrival of a king, ruler, or official with open splendor, dignity, and respect. So the Bible says that he is going to return. Jesus Christ is coming back. And ladies and gentlemen, when he comes back, he comes in triumph. He came the first time as a baby, born in a manger. He lived upon this earth. He died on the cross. When he comes back, he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Now, people today can reject him. They can turn away from him. But the Bible says there is coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He is going to appear. And so John warns, so don't be ashamed when he does. Verse number 28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Understand this. All believers are accepted because we are saved by his grace, not our works. We are accepted because salvation is what he does, not what we do. All believers are accepted, but all believers' actions are not acceptable. Let me illustrate it. If my child were coming home from school and found a mud puddle and jumped around in the mud puddle and got their clothes dirty and all of that, when they walk in the door, they are accepted as my child but their actions are not acceptable. That is what John is saying to us. When he comes, don't be ashamed. Don't live your life in such a way that you are ashamed. We are all accepted as believers, but our works are not acceptable. We do not lose our salvation when he comes, but we can lose our rewards. We do not lose our relationship, but we can lose our fellowship. So let me conclude. John warns of the last hour, the last days, when Jesus returns. And the Bible says to us, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. The Bible says there is a coming a day when Jesus Christ is coming back. Make sure you're ready. Make sure that you know Him. C.H. Dodd wrote, membership of the church is no guarantee that a man belongs to Christ. And not to Antichrist. John gives us a test. Are you loving? Are you committed to truth? Are you obedient? Because the Bible says that if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practice 
Righteousness is born of Him. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ is coming again. John is saying, make sure you're ready when He comes. Are you? If the Lord were to come today, are you ready to meet Him? If you've never been saved, you're not. And if you are saved, live in such a way that you're not ashamed when you see Him. Our Father, we come to a time of invitation and ask that the Holy Spirit speak to hearts. Lord, that we might understand the nearness of the return of Christ. That we might be ready for His coming. Father, for those who have never trusted Jesus, not sure... I pray that they might settle it today. That they might leave here with the confidence that they know Christ and are known by Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. An opportunity for you to respond to God. If you're here without Christ or you're not sure, I encourage you to come today to make it right. Get right with Him. If you're not living as you should, I encourage you to do so. Because one day you will face the Lord Jesus. Stand with me, please, as we stand. The choir sings as they sing. You come, I'll greet you as you do.